Alright. What you're gonna wanna do is you're gonna wanna head down to patreon.com slash house of decline. This is the beginning of the episode ad read. We'll get it out of the way quickly. Then we'll mention the Patreon several more times throughout the episode. But you're going to want to go to patreon.com slash house of decline. H-A-U-S of decline. Get so many fucking comics. So many fucking extra podcasts. It's, it's nuts. An entire backlog. 300 comics for $3. It's a crazy amount of comics. You, you won't even believe. Also go to houseofdecline.com. H-A-U-S of decline.com where you can see uh, all of the free comics and all of the free podcasts and everything there. Uh, we've gone through a format change as of recent because a uh, longtime podcast partner, Steven, has left the show. So now, uh, instead of mostly being just about two, two friends bullshitting, now it's going to be me uh, pulling people that I have met online, interesting and cool people from online, uh, and uh, especially from Twitter, where the, the title of the show and the title of the whole media enterprise actually works out, because we are in a moment of decline with Twitter right now. <laughs> and uh, we'll try and you know review it. We'll try and see what happens as it continues to decline and maybe get some people who are on the site who can relive. We can talk about what happens on this this awful, awful uh, venue for opinions and artwork and general jollity. Um, but uh, as our first guest of this format change, someone who I've uh, loved on this, uh, loved on Twitter for a very long time, excellent posts, supreme posting game we have lauren at not a big jerk uh how are you doing lauren i'm doing okay thanks for thanks for having me on thank you for the the nice intro um i think you'll find actually if you look at my tweets i i am something of a big jerk this is <laughs> as many people point out uh, anytime i do anything well it's because you have you have strong opinions and you're you're willing to field them which is why i think you know you've developed a following as such because you have a you have a good way of articulating these things that people believe but are not necessarily too afraid to say just don't want the hassle of saying online to get into a big thing get into a big to do with the other uh, weirdos on this website but you, you seem yeah. very good at like uh, getting cutting through the fat and like getting to the root of the issue and uh, uh, where does this, where do you think this motivation comes from? I uh, thank you. Um, I um, have always been incredibly online. Um, uh, stunning indictment of my character. I first started <laughs> posting on forums, uh, the Battlefield 1942 forum when I was <laughs> 10 or 11 years old. And, 10 um, or 11 on the Battlefield. <laughs> the Battlefield 1942. You you were such into that game that that you were a dedicated forum poster. Well, yeah, best game ever made. Yeah. Yeah. I was on Newgrounds a lot. That was my early forum posting experience, and also a lurker on something awful. I never ended up paying for something awful. Oh, I paid for something awful. Yeah, I I, I was <laughs> I was a shit poster there for a while too. Hell yeah, you were goon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, there are unfortunately stairs in my house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that rule. I mean, uh, talk about another website where you could see its uh, distinct market decline over a over a period of time. I don't know what was was there a jump the shark moment for something awful as much as there was for a, just a clear pinpoint jump the shark moment for Twitter, which is of course Elon buying it. That's a good question. It's hard to say. Um, I think. God, that's that's old forums, Lord. I try to remember the exact detail, but um, probably when at some point uh, the site owner flipped out, Lotex flipped out and um, started giving everyone uh, or like started relegating certain people that he didn't like to like a green avatar and putting their forums <laughs> in like like a hidden form or something. Yeah, and it was just like the most transparently like he's just out of control of. Like he doesn't really get what people are there for anymore. He doesn't really get why they're like posting in general. They don't particularly like him. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the breaking point. Yeah, uh, the the increasing uh, erraticness of low tax. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe and we are maybe. seeing that now. Yeah, it, it seems like Elon is really taking the the low tax uh, road, which yes. I'm I'm delighted by. I, I love I love how that's going to end. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we all know how that ends. Uh, oh, 
but at least Lotax actually made the thing that he ended up ruining. You know, there's a, I mean, this is the story of our time, really. That's the Tar story. Somebody creates some sort of big legacy thing and ends up being beloved and ends up destroying all of that goodwill by being a huge freak like uh, uh, J.K. Rowling or or Notch from Minecraft. Oh, God, it was, he was a weird one, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember... Uh when it came out about like the big wall of candy just rotting in his, in his billion dollar, uh, in his billionaire home in, in LA. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. It's a, it's a tendency across, uh, every sector of our society. It seems for, uh, rich people to lose their minds when anyone anywhere says anything mean to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, uh, I want to get to be that point. I want to get, mm -hmm. I want to make this media brand, we're taking it all the way to the top and I'm going to eventually destroy everything and start selling mangosteen and start getting really into mangosteen or whatever. Absolutely. You no, know, people always say online, like, oh, if I was a billionaire, I would, I would never post on here. I would never look at this form. I'd, I'd be off on some mountain somewhere doing weird drugs in uh, some exotic foreign country. No, bullshit. I would be online. I would still be posting. I would still get really mad when anyone was, was, was rude to me. Uh, I would uh, still not ever log off. Oh, yeah. It's any I amount mean, of money. Because also, like, when you have a bunch of followers, too, it's a fairly infectious feeling of, uh, I think it's a, uh, an old Finessa Fudges post or something like that, where it's uh, saying that the point of this website is to eventually get enough followers so that you can tweet going for a burger and get 40 likes, right? <laughs> and there, that's, uh, that's, yes, I agree with that. The there's dream. something, there's something very nice about that. There's something very affirming about that. But I on the other side, if I posted side, going for a burger, I'd get a thousand. Yeah, well, because you're you you got you're in the food beat. You got your food beat going on. I have I have my weird little uh, niche hobby that has uh, somehow people have lost their minds over it. I don't really understand why it's been as popular as it has been. But the rotating uh, sandwiches, of course. Rotating sandwiches, rotatingsandwiches.com, our number one source online for rotating sandwiches. Uh, we recently went from thirty to forty rotating sandwiches on display. Uh, with more to come. Because uh, I saw you like discover that last year from Instagram, <laughs> and it was like, w was it like the moment in The Simpsons when Homer's mom sees Joe Namath's sideburns, and like the the world <laughs> rotates around you, and you see, and you hear sunshine of your love, and you're like, this is something that I must be doing. It seems something that was so within your character that of course you would pursue it. Exactly. No, that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, it, there was a shout out to the Internet Archive, one of the great websites of all time. Mm -hmm. They have some guy uploaded a collection of like 6,000 rotating food, food, food items. <laughs> and there, there's, there's hundreds. It's fantastic. And I saw some of them and I was like, there's, you know, I, I'm, I'm a photographer in, in my free time as well. And I, I realized it wouldn't actually be that hard to do with the equipment I mostly already had. So I was like, yeah, if, if you have the technology, you have something of an obligation to do it. <laughs> an obligation. <laughs> I like that choice of words, but because you are like the the thing about a sandwich is it's almost like a piece of live music. You know, mm -hmm. it's ethereal and it's gone in a second, and everyone is slightly different from the last. So there is like that desire to preserve this uniquely ethereal experience. Uh, is um, I, I appreciate that, and you know, sort of what the philosophy of the Internet Archive is all about what um sort of a general larger sentiment towards preservation of culture that famous phrase whatever not saved will be lost you know i think people are really taking that to heart nowadays no i uh, think so too yeah i think the death of twitter has been a big part of that too and people and also just like all of the tech firings and all of the apps becoming more expensive and i don't know i i recently replugged in my um 20 terabyte external uh like mini home server and uh i might have to figure out a torrent again it's been a while but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm feeling that same preservationist urge real hard lately mm -hmm. uh yeah and the and the the delightful sandwiches the wonderful sandwiches from various shops <laughs> uh, uh what can you tell me about the pit beef sandwich oh my god the pit beef is like maybe the most slept on American great sandwich, like outside of Baltimore and DC, cause we're, we're close to Baltimore. I, I've never seen it anywhere else, but it's like a perfect uh, top brown beef. That's been usually like seared. It's not smoked. It's not like a really long smoked meat. It's usually done 
over like charcoal, uh, like a charcoal pit is how the really great places in Baltimore do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like the thinly sliced uh, top row, top round, usually raw, thinly sliced white onions and then horseradish. And it's just flawless, mm-hmm. usually like a potato bun or something. Yeah. Um, maybe the, the best discovery I've had since moving to kind of the region a couple of years ago, uh, as far as, you know, Philly's got their Philly cheesesteak and the porchetta thing. DC sort of has uh, half smokes. It's not really a super great culinary tradition here. But uh, the pit beef truly is like the regional sandwich of choice for the Chesapeake. Yeah, well, because I because I watched The Wire again recently because mm-hmm. uh, Lance Reddick passed away and it, that it, it uh, initiated my MK Ultra trigger. OK, I got to watch The Wire again. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, every couple yeah, of years. They, yeah. Yeah. They make reference anytime one of the major stars of it passes away. Ah, it happens that I did the same thing after Michael K. Williams died, which is bad. <laughs> that shouldn't be my first instinct. Maybe I should watch something else that they were in as well. It's like, uh, this is how I will pay tribute to them by <laughs> passively watching media that they were in. That yeah. Is... And the problem with both those guys is that most of the stuff that they made was was that they were in was, was not as good as the wire yeah well lance reddick uh did you ever career. see did you see yeah. corporate uh no but that's one of the people when when he passed away people talked about like actually being secretly really good and i've thought yeah. about checking it out for that reason surprisingly good uh comedy central series that just got no play because it's a very very dour and depressing show but lance <laughs> reddick plays a manic, insane, authoritarian, evil CEO in it, and he's very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the pit beef sandwich uh, is something that I've always wanted to try. Be I've, I haven't been to the Baltimore, Washington area, but the way people talk about it, it, it hits all the pleasure nodes. You know, it hits a oh, this is everything I want in a sandwich. Horseradish <laughs> sauce. Is it like a sweet or a tangy horseradish, or more of like a piquant, spicier horseradish? It's definitely on the spicier, like piquant side. Some people do also add like barbecue sauce. Like, um, highly recommend if you're at all a sports fan or just an appreciator of baseball. Camden Yards uh, in Baltimore is the most beautiful baseball park in the country. I'm convinced, yeah. and their pit beef is really solid. So if the you if, if you're if you're only in like Baltimore for a day, it's a pretty much a perfect like evening experience. Is like big beer uh pit beef and uh, an orioles game sounds fucking great fucking uh i mean i gotta love the a's because uh and it's the perfect name for a baltimore accent as well uh absolutely and they're like actual like the, the city actually does really like the, the the fan base is actually really passionate about it it's still like washington dc the no one here really there are nats fans but most of them are just kind of bloodless corporate types um uh, Baltimoreans actually seem to give a shit about their team, which is great. Yeah, because there's like the Orioles is one of the few teams that has like a really distinct personality because mm-hmm. uh, of just the legacy of Cal Ripken and the Oriole way, they called it or something like that it, it, about their like hard training. At least that was back in the 70s or something like that. Yeah, they still talk about that kind of stuff in the city. Somewhat. Like, I don't think the actual team's current identity is too too tied into that anymore, but uh, it kind of held them back for a long time. <laughs> Part <laughs> yeah. of the Oriole way was never uh, doing any scouting in any Latin American countries. Uh, okay, that's that's a little racist. That's a little problematic. <laughs> yeah, also just really stupid. <laughs> yeah, the, that's the best players in the world are all from are all from these places. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, an interesting history. I I listened to some of that podcast rumor. Did you ever hear about that podcast rumor? Oh, I think so. Yeah. It was it was just about so Cal Ripken has the longest streak ever in baseball. Right. But there was one game where he couldn't play because allegedly he had punched Kevin Costner in the face (laughs) after Kevin Costner slept with his wife. And so he was out. His hand was injured. And so they they broke some glass. They broke some lights in order to uh, call off the game. And that's how Cal Ripken was able to continue his uh, unbroken streak of uh, games played. I think I remember when that uh, rumor like re- recirculated fairly recently. Yeah. And uh, I think it, whether it's true or not, I think it, you can't really get that mad at any woman for sleeping with Kevin Costner in the eighties. Oh yeah. Like at, at his, at his like, at, at his like field of dreams to um, Kevin Costner, all time, great sports movie guy. Oh uh, yeah. 
Uh, but I, mean, I think this was 90s Costner. This is like Waterworld Costner. This is like <laughs> this is like the Postman Costner, you know, sort of uh, at the at the nadir of his career. Not the nadir of his career. What's uh, I, what has Apex? he been in recently? I guess he's Yellowstone. He's his he's had a career resurgence because of Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. He's really big into that. That That is one that I have not watched a second of. But yeah. um, all of, all of my like rural family members love it. Supposed to yeah. be okay. I've heard really good things, but he seems perfectly happy doing that for the rest of his life. So, but who uh, knows? I think we'll still get at least one more great sports movie out of him. Now that he's kind of transitioned from being like a player age to a manager age, maybe we'll get a, a sequel to the much underrated Draft Day. Oh, Draft Day. That's a movie I've never seen. What is Draft Day? Draft Day is about him uh, as a football team executive on Draft Day doing the draft and like calling. Uh, it, it, you have to be kind of like a sports sicko to like enjoy a movie about management. But uh, as far as it goes, it's it's way better than anyone gives it credit. Yeah, people it's not love money, money ball. Level, but oh uh, yeah, yeah, people love that. Fuck, people love fucking Moneyball. <laughs> people intensely love that movie. I like that movie, even though it's like one of the most straight ahead movies of all time. You know, it's, there's not like a huge emotional heft to it, but it's fun to watch the procedure of things happening. It's a brilliant script, which is great because the actual Moneyball thing is like it. it the the book within like baseball circles is uh, kind of reviled at this point because it overstates sabermetrics or something like that. It overstates sabermetrics and also it pretty much just like straight up ignores the fact that the A's uh, had like a, a, a the Cy Young winner on it. <laughs> they had incredible talent on that team that like weren't all of the guys that are featured in Moneyball were like fringe players on the edge who maybe contributed a couple wins over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. And it just like it totally ignores um, uh, the rest of the roster. Like they're not even mentioned. And like some, some of them were superstars. Some of them were like really good players. Uh, also, I think baseball people are kind of sick of uh, the cheapness that that kind of thing has come to um the, the, like the cheapness that people kind of um, I think people are kind of sick of owners uh, using Moneyball ideas as an excuse to not spend money or and try to win games. The right. sport has added that problem for a couple of years now of the, the tank, the smart tank where they uh, try to punt for like five or, or five to 10 years of competition. So that one day in the future, uh, maybe they'll be good. And mm-hmm. sometimes it works. Sometimes, you know, the Cubs and the Astros both did that to huge success. World Series wins. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're from Pittsburgh, if you're from Oakland, uh, your team's never going to win, win again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys uh, are just cheap assholes. Uh, and uh, use it as an excuse to never do anything. Is is like there's like sort of big debate over the use of ops, right? For uh, people that uh, I'm just learning the, this stuff right now, but on base plus slugging is generally seen as like if you're rating a player by any one metric that's the metric you use and there's been a sort of a big controversy over using this metric as well it's one of those things yeah a couple years ago some of the smarter more analytically minded teams started like putting more advanced statistics on like the scoreboard during games Mm -hmm. and a bunch of old 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 guys flipped out about it but i think at this point the nerds have pretty effectively won um, it, the real sickos like me use stuff like OPS plus and WRC plus, which is all league adjusted and accounts for like the weather at parks and shit like that, uh, to really get sicko about it. But, uh, that that's, oh, uh, that's more on the, that's more on like the, the, the iceberg, uh, uh, meme that's, that's way closer down in the waters where you really shouldn't venture unless you have nothing else going on in your life. Yeah. The abyss. Yeah. If you're, you're using OPS plus. Um, but I, I think that the sort of numbers sicko aspect of baseball more so than any other sport, it seems like there are number sickos for every sport, but baseball is the most number sicko sport easily. Yeah. Although I think it's getting to the point in basketball now where they're sicko, they're, their sickos are even more, uh, disgustingly devoted to the, the stats than the baseball ones are, but the, the baseball guys have been around the longest now that mm-hmm. all their stuff started in like the zeros, whereas the football and, and basketball people and God forbid the hockey people are only just now kind of getting into their prime. So they will be much more annoying in a couple of years. Don't worry. Uh, I, but this is sort of like, I, I'm getting into it because of the numbers, because it's mm-hmm. appealing to my inherent nerdiness. 
I know Jane, your co-host is like a Warhammer, a big Warhammer head. And uh, are you, you're into D and D, right? Um, yeah, I, I um got back into it about a year or so ago, or year and a half or so ago. Yeah, I used to be way into it when I was younger. Mm. But no, the the stats are definitely a big part of it. I I'm a regular reader of Fangraphs, which is like a big analytically minded uh, sports writing site about baseball. I uh, I I do the spread the most spreadsheeting of anybody on on betting around <laughs> by a mile. Jane yeah. and, and uh, Stephen come about their nerdiness and more honest, uh, actual fans of teams ways than, than I do. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I totally get that. I've always needed a, I've always needed a hobby that involves some kind of number mm-hmm. for some reason. And baseball just perfectly fit into that mold in a way that was much more socially acceptable than like liking cameras too much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, cause baseball, you can appreciate on the technical, but also on the emotional level, you know, there's always that, Especially what I what I truly came to understand about the emotional component of sports in general is that more than anything, you're always fighting against injury. Like the potential to get injured horribly is always the thing that is looming in the back of your head and making heightening everything with drama. Because, you know, you can be like the best player in the fucking world, but, you know, you you just step on your knee the wrong you step on your foot the wrong way and that's it for you. Absolutely. As happens all the time, like the World Baseball Classic recently came through uh, and, and was awesome. It was fantastic. It was some of the best exhibition baseball I've ever seen. People seem were really into it. But uh, Edwin Diaz, who closes for the Mets, uh, injured himself celebrating after a game. It's going to be out all season. So Mets <laughs> fans have just been apoplectic about about this and how it means that the tournament is fake. It's like, no, you, you got to, you know, if, if you're not going to show up and do the Olympic style team USA stuff. Um, that, what, what, why, why even bother? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The WBC was, it, it pulled in so many uh, uh, non fans like me, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I was cause the compelling story. Okay. So here's the two greatest players in baseball right now, both of which have like a claim to be like greatest of all time claim. Mm-hmm. Um, like Shohei Otani, especially just is like looking at the stats of this guy. He's he's so he's you're telling me he's six foot four. He's like built like a brick shit house. He's fast as the wind. He pitches as well as he bats both at like the highest levels imaginable, which nobody has ever done ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're telling me this guy versus like Mike Trout, who's like the hittingest man on earth. He can hit anything that comes across the goddamn plate. Best player of the deck of the last decade, at least. Yeah. Compelling case that he should have won like seven or eight MVPs over the course of his career. Yeah. No, the, the two of them both are like during the baseball season, they're stranded in Anaheim, uh, which, you know, God, God bless him. The angels try, but yeah, uh, I mean, that's also the funny, them. compelling part of the story. The two yeah. greatest baseball players ever. And they're on a team that sucks <laughs> <laughs> and that they can't save single handedly with their uh, with their skill. Yeah, the great tragedy of baseball is that you can't just like win it with with two or three guys. You really gotta have like nine competent players to even sniff the playoffs, and they, mm. they never they never manage. It's a bummer. But you're right. The WBC was perfect just because it put the two of them in like a, the the highest possible stakes situation in the in the finals, just organically over the course of a couple weeks of the tournament. Uh, and it was some of the best baseball I've ever, I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and there was like a compelling case. I think that they should do it every two years. It's currently every four. They didn't do it for a couple of years because of COVID. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it was a great chance for a lot of people to see that baseball can be fun and, and fans can actually have fun while watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> something that you don't see too often in the U.S., unfortunately. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think uh, Stephen was talking on the, the podcast uh, about how a big problem uh with that is the just amount of games. Like if you lop off 10 games from the season, people will show up more for regular games or see them as special events or see them as uh, something to attend. Also, it's easier on the players as well. Yeah, there's there's an increasingly compelling case that they should 162 games, just a lot. It's a lot of baseball. I, I, I don't think they, I don't think they will cut it down anytime soon, but uh, there's a case we made that if it was even just a couple games fewer, um, but I, I think the, Biggest problem um, with getting people to actually have more fun at games uh, outside of outside of the length of the season is that the tickets are just so goddamn expensive. Yeah, it's uh, that that is the 
why I really highly recommend minor league baseball to everyone who like is looking to get into the sport. Cause you can actually go to a game for cheap and it's like a couple bucks to get in. Hot dogs usually aren't insanely priced. You can do drugs outside and, and then come in high. It's a much, much more compelling environment for regular people than a major league stadium. Hell yeah. And that's a new thing. You know, it used to be that, you know, bleacher t- tickets were like a couple bucks, but uh, last couple of years ownership has, um, made it harder for people to actually get in the gates. Yeah. When I went to a Jays game last time, I was in a nosebleed section and it was 30 bucks. So The Jays especially are, are uh, pretty bad about this, which is irritating because I'm pretty sure they're also the only team that has like, they, they, they don't really like play like it. They don't really build their roster like it, but I think they're actually like the richest team in terms of ownership. Hmm, that's very like, interesting. They're, they're worth like an unfathomable about a, amount of money. Uh, yeah, because there's even nothing the you can do owners. to piss Jays fans off. You know, we'll yeah. keep coming back year after year. <laughs> I mean, that's like uh, also part of what got me into baseball recently is watching that John Boy's Dave Steeb documentary. And oh, uh, that, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, all of his yeah. like studio series are, are incredible, but that one like blew me away. Yeah, I mean, just because uh, the incredible unlikeliness of of like setting up. It was something like eight no-nos and then like losing at the very last <laughs> second. And then finally in your last year, you finally get your no-no, uh, which is it, a no-hitter. I'm saying no-no <laughs> like I know something. But. <laughs> no, it's it's a flawlessly constructed narrative. He has an amazing job. And actually, you'll, anybody who makes any kind of content will appreciate this. This is one of the funniest things I ever I ever found out was that he makes those videos in in the Google Earth software in the google earth software yeah there's like there's like a google earth program you can download and put on your computer and he makes them in that and that's in as someone who does like video editing dabbles in like video production uh in, insane to me that he makes it work yeah that's like a step beyond like linux linux guy in terms <laughs> of specific software to use <laughs> i think specificity that's also a word that i want to explore with baseball because baseball too like uh, tends to have much more specific athletes, like sort of weird guys, especially before the steroid era, when you could have someone as as just incredibly weird as Pete Rose become one of the greatest of all time. Um, it's always been a, like a strength of the sport is that you can like be like a regular looking guy and still play it at a very high level, or even yeah. like a chubby guy. You, you can look at like one of the best World Baseball Classic starts came from. Um, uh, on the, the, the White Sox starting pitcher, whose name I'm blanking on, uh, Lance Lynn, who mm-hmm. like, if you picked him out of a lineup, you'd be like, this guy works at like a deli. Yeah. But he's no, he's throwing like 93 mile an hour heaters and, and striking out like some of the best players on earth. Even on, yeah. And the Jays, we got, uh, one of our franchise stars is Bo Bichette and he looks like a, a, a 19 year old at Bible camp. You know, he's, <laughs> he's like in like Arkansas or something like that. And, uh, yeah, a very, a very uh, varied type of guy that you get you get in baseball. I think because of its inherent folksiness as well, it attracts a weirder type of athlete as well. There's not as much like pomp and circumstance to it as uh, as basketball or football. It's not as hype as that, but that's sort of like the that's sort of the appeal of it as well. There's there's more of a, a slow, breezy ASMR attitude to it, as, which is uh, attractive to a different caliber of person. Absolutely. Yeah. You also get like, they're just, uh, especially with pitchers. I, I found you, they're, they're, they have so much time kind of stewing in their own juices in the bullpen that they develop really eccentric personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the time that's like, uh, that usually means they're like MAGA guys, but every <laughs> now and then you get one who's like genuinely just a really strange and funny person. Yeah. But even the MAGA guys are like weird and specific as well. Like oh, yeah. not the same type of MAGA guys that you get in any other sport. Like, uh, I mean, it, it creates someone like John Rocker. Is there like, I don't think there's like a John Rocker of like football or, or basketball. Thankfully, no. I think John Rocker, there's only <laughs> yeah. one John Rocker. That's, that's yeah. one John Rocker too many. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I um, I always think of uh, Bill Lee as my all-time favorite, most eccentric player who was mm-hmm. famous for, among other things, uh, smoking weed uh, in the uh, outside of Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... <laughs> weird funny story he he played in like senior leagues his whole life like after mm-hmm. he retired he would you would go pitch for like softball games in the middle of nowhere and my dad actually played baseball with him or uh played softball with him once my dad was a reporter at uh 
newspaper in Phoenix. Um, this is before I was born in, in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, Billy was just coming through uh, town for something. My, my dad was interviewing him for some story about uh, whatever charity game he was coming to play. And my dad, just as a joke, was like, hey, you know, we have the 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 newspaper softball team is having a match in a couple of days. If you're mm-hmm. in town, you want, do you want to go? And he, he just showed up to like this, in, like interdivisional game between like the Arizona Republic and, <laughs> and the Arizona new times or something. And, uh, uh, pitched for him. <laughs> That's good. He's just down. Sure. Yeah. I'll do it. I'm Billy. Yeah. Kind of nothing, nothing else going on. Just I think it's, playing. it's also the, the one sport where you can wear glasses. I guess you can wear glasses in basketball, but uh, they're different types of glasses. You can wear like Greg Maddox glasses in baseball. You can be a big nerd. <laughs> And still be an athlete in baseball. Exactly. Sadly, I don't think we see too many of like the old, like rocking like the 70s frames anymore. But if you like the old baseball cards, you can find some guys who just look like the the most nerdy dads of all time. And mm-hmm. then they also look like they're like set, like 45 years old. And you look at the car and they're 23. But that's, <laughs> yeah. that's more because of the lack of sunscreen when they were growing up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all the free radicals just floating around in their system, all the lead <laughs> floating around in their system. Um, yeah, but any sport where you can just have like, there's Randy Johnson and Kirby Puckett, and they're playing the same sport. These <laughs> <laughs> uh, just these, uh, yeah, almost uh, cartoonish athletes in a way. It's a beautiful Much more thing. Cartoony. Yeah. And it, the baseball is definitely trending towards everyone being like six four and two hundred fifty pounds. But you mm-hmm. still see like on the edge cases, you still see a guy like Jose Altuve who's like. He's five five on the playing card. He is not five five in real life. <laughs> Stuff like uh, that. And I think we actually just hit a new record for tallest guy in the majors. I think the new tallest guy is a relief pitcher. I want to say in the Giants organization, maybe who's like legit seven feet tall. Hell yeah! Just just insanely tall guy. At some point, they'll, they'll play against the uh, Astros, and there'll be a picture of him standing from the mound, looking at like a very tiny uh, Jose Altuve, and it'll be. Uh, briefly, people in the public will care about baseball again. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't like uh, a very tall man juxtaposed to to a short man? It's always Everyone funny. It, yeah. it, it's 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 like it works great with dogs and it works even better with people. Yeah. It's the basis for every comedy duo that's ever been. <laughs> you know, there's a short squat guy and there's a tall, thin guy. And then, the you know, they're bumbling henchmen or something like yeah. that. Or, yeah. Laurel and Hardy all the way to Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve. Yeah. Yeah. It's a continuum a continuum <laughs> of that dichotomy. Uh, yeah, I think, um, so I was talking to you before, before the show officially began, how, you know, we're both in, we're both in the socialists, the leftists, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, um, which is embarrassing to say, I don't know why it's embarrassing to call <laughs> yourself a leftist or something like that, because, uh, it makes it feel like it's more important than it probably is in our yeah. lives. Yeah. Especially because, you know, I'm I'm not organizing anything. I'm not going to, like, events. I'm not building anything for anyone. I just have my ideas that I post online. Yeah, we just hang out on the computer. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to do anything. So, but <laughs> I think uh, in my... Uh, in in my more optimistic moments or in my moments of what okay what do i think i'm doing online i'm communicating i'm trying to communicate some sort of political ideals sometimes and maybe if i do that in a way that is uh cogent and relatable enough i can maybe convince people that these ideas are nice some ideas are good <laughs> Maybe come over here to our side. It's a very nice party. And I think, you know, um, getting into sports uh, is part of that as well, because just the ability to talk to people on that level is one of these uh, great unifiers. Um, uh, In the Chelsea Manning episode, which is fucking if you haven't (laughs) listened to the batting around Chelsea Manning episode, listen to it. It's fucking crazy, harrowing and like beautiful. And yeah, like, she was a really cool guest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's had an, like one of the most incredible lives on earth. Um, but the idea of like baseball. So talking about her experience in prison and having baseball, just the schedule of it, binding her to routine and sanity. 
that's such like that's such an amazing uh, conclusion. That's such an amazing emotional experience to talk about. And later, when she's just talking about going to Cubs games and sort of being maybe initially reticent as a queer person to to mingle with the crowd, but then finding oh nobody cares. They just want to talk about the the goddamn Cubs. You know, I think. <laughs> That's that part of it, too, is sort of like heartening and beautiful. You know, it it sort of gives us this this miniature war, this little miniature facsimile of war that we can discuss. (laughs) And that is, um, you know, uh, broadly endears everyone to each other. Like, what do you think? uh, What do you think of that? No, I totally agree. I think um, easily the best part of uh, doing my podcast, betting around, betting around uh, Twitter handle, I don't remember. Uh, easily the best part of it isn't really the podcast itself. It's finding like a discord of really cool other like uh, queer LGBT people who are also big fans of this incredibly nerdy thing. Uh, I shouldn't call baseball incredibly nerdy. We're we're incredibly nerdy about it. Uh, The sport itself is not inherently nerdy. Um, And I, 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 I love that. Like there's like this community of more openly LGBT people who are into sports and baseball. I think it's a really healthy thing for people to be into and a, a positive sign that like, the teams themselves, I think 28 teams do like a pride night and the Yankees don't do any kind of pride nights of any kind. They don't do any Italian American heritage or something like that. Mm. Um, so I think the teams are also getting more uh, LGBT friendly in a way that is, is, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a rainbow capitalism thing, but it makes a difference. Like um, some of it's, it's silly. Like I think they actually recently renamed the, uh, the Diamondbacks in, in Arizona recently renamed the Chase Field uh, family restrooms to like gender inclusive restrooms. And it's like, it's just a single stall that they just changed the name on, but sure. But you know, it's a gesture. Having used those bathrooms myself before I was like fully out, uh, the little things like that are make a big difference. And I also love that while all of this is happening, uh, everybody on the far right is convincing themselves that, uh, are becoming sports ball guys. (laughs) <laughs> they're like actively moving away from being normal and liking sports because they're just like cocking themselves into being more and more trad and hating more and more like they, they can't watch football anymore they can't watch baseball anymore sooner or later they'll lose hockey too yeah. it's wonderful i love that we're taking that from them yeah i mean my dad has gotten very right wing as of recent and the thing that i've noticed in him is it's purging all joy he can't experience joy anymore. He can't like he he's convinced that all movies are like Hollywood, you know, propaganda <laughs> trying to infect his brain. And I guess it's the same thing with sports too just because like um it, it's purely a capitalism thing. They the, yeah. the franchises say, "Okay, what is the percentage of people that like gay people, the percentage of people that like queer people to the percentage of people that don't? Oh, one number is higher. Guess we'll go with that. Yeah, right? it hit 51%. And they were like, okay, we'll do the rainbow merch. You guys can yeah. have all the rainbow merch you want. Yeah, and I, I try and talk to him about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Who does? And, you know, rainbows look good on everything. I'll buy the rainbow Blue Jays hat. I probably won't buy the rainbow Blue Jays hat. Um <laughs> But yeah, and you know, even if it is nothing, it's still proving to be a contentious issue. Like you have, especially in hockey, for some reason, all the all the Christian hockey players are saying, "No, I will not wear the rainbow on my jersey." <laughs> this is because I am Christian. Yeah, for some reason, hockey is having a much harder. Uh, there's probably pretty good reasons for why it's having a much harder time than any other ones. Yeah, but yeah, I think the Rays last year, a couple guys refused to wear the hats. It's like, eh, whatever. It, it's it's those kinds of guys are entitled to their beliefs, I guess, but uh, it's just a kind of a pathetic thing to get super, super that upset about. And I don't know why hockey hasn't done more to kind of combat that stuff, at least in the press. It's just really bad, like optics Mm -hmm. for their, for their teams and for their players, but yeah, they they can't keep it up forever. They're on the losing side. They know it. Yeah. Well, cause conversely to baseball, I think hockey selects for the most normative type of athlete, the most basic type of athlete guy you would expect is in hockey. There, there are very few weird dudes in hockey. I mean, they're weird in the way that hockey guys are weird in that they'd be mulleted and, you know, toothless and well, not anymore. That's, (laughs) I guess I'm thinking of the seventies. I might actually disagree there because I think hockey because of the nature of hockey and because of the nature of how you get to be good enough to get to the major soon to the highest level uh, faster is you have to start playing it uh, basically from the time you can walk and do anything else in your life. You spend your whole life just playing hockey. And I think that produces some 
incredibly strange people. Baseball, <laughs> any all major sports have that, that problem now where the pipeline is so so peculiar that you get stuff like Le- LeBron James refuses to pay for Spotify premium, things like that, where it's just like, why why are you like this? Just just be just be just be regular. Yeah. But uh hockey, I think, um, has produced some of the um strangest looking uh or strangest thinking, uh relatively normal looking hunks of men on the planet. And um <laughs> that's kind of a beautiful thing about it. Yeah. All right. I can accept that. But it's a different type of weird than baseball weird. Yes, that I think is very true. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the other, when you started out your, your podcast, I, I anticipate it was much more about, Hey, we, let's just want to talk about, uh, we just want to talk about baseball more than it was any sort of concerted effort to like bring queer voices into like a mainstream <laughs> situation. But like, I imagine in the back of your head, you still have that sort of, there still is a, a slight activism component to it. Uh, or is the, or do you not care about that at all? It definitely did start as just like, a, it was like a pandemic thing. We were a couple months in, we were all going stir crazy. We just wanted to talk to our friends more and have an excuse to like schedule time to actually talk to each other. But yeah, it, it um, I'm, I'm waiting for the perks of, of being uh, that kind of uh, brave hero to come through. It'd be great if a team wanted to, you know, pay me to go cover a game or something. It hasn't happened yet, but um, who knows? Uh, if, if we're going to be like the, the trans and queer baseball podcast, um, Eventually, maybe we'll benefit from it in some way other than a couple bucks a month on Patreon. But uh, who knows what the future holds? But you're making real. He- you got an actual players on the show. Yes, we have. We uh, had a. <laughs> we've gotten a couple relievers. Um, they they I think are the only people weird enough to listen to to us. <laughs> but um, someday we hope to have on like a an actual uh, hitter. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, you will. It, it it's gonna happen. <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get the trout interview he's gonna listen to all the back episodes and he'll be his mind will be blown uh no we we love having anytime we have a player on we refuse to talk about baseball with them that's that's <laughs> one of my favorite bits is <laughs> that, we had a very good bit. uh, we had trevor trevor hildeberger from the um most recently in the giants organization come on and we we made him our f1 correspondent because he's a big f1 fan <laughs> and we just talked about f1 the whole episode um speaking of things adjacent to baseball but in uh entertainment media and sorry it's also like in in the weird guys category and the john rocker (laughs) category i watched what i consider to be the greatest television show of all time eastbound Mm -hmm. and down i watched it again and um yeah i'm convinced that it is like after seeing it again and seeing like where we've come as a culture since eastbound down eastbound and down it's like this is one of the most prophetic (laughs) (laughs) like we're all kenny powers now everyone is kenny powers now you know and what about baseball produces people like kenny powers or i think that's a great point i i totally agree i actually watched the show recently for the podcast and uh it it, i i think it was a combination of uh, the internet destroying everyone's brains uh, that kind of caused that wider Kenny powersification of, of the planet <laughs> and just everybody getting to like bask in their own uh, re- reflections 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. But I think Kenny powers as an archetype as a baseball guy isn't one we see as often as we used to. I think um, there there's, I think the, I think it's because baseball players became too media savvy and too like trained to be very, closed about their answers and, and re- to respond to journalists in, in very calm ways. You don't really see like a Ricky Henderson guys anymore who like, yeah, I am the greatest thing ever. I, mm-hmm. I, I do kick ass and steal 60 bases a season. I do hit 40 hormones. That does make me a better person than you. Yeah. We've unfortunately lost some of that flair, but there's a couple of guys who I think could bring it back. Jazz yeah. Chisholm on, on the Marlins has all the personality in the world and should just shout it from the rooftops forever. Yeah. I love those. Well, I also think because Eastbound and Down is also a story about how the world has moved past Kenny Powers as well and his inability to deal with it. Like he eventually wants to reclaim his title back in the MLB, but he rejects it because he has understand that the world has moved past him to some degree. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of kind of like um, hopefully he's going to jail. But I think I think the last couple of years has been a very uh kenny powers esque a uh, couple years for donald donald trump as well <laughs> yeah yeah um but kenny powers eventually wins donald trump <laughs> i don't know he might win again uh we'll see what happens so also this week the indictment of donald trump 
<laughs> which I was not really expecting. I thought they were lying about that, or I thought there were they were like exaggerating what was going to happen because they made that big announcement a week ago saying on Tuesday they're going to come to the <laughs> compound, they're going to come to Mar-a-Lago and take me away. And then it was it, that didn't happen. And so you're just twiddling your thumbs out. I guess it's not going to happen then. I guess it's, you know, yeah, in the context too of the the larger the larger context of years and years and years of him just getting away with doing whatever he wants, it's uh, it's still that situation. Where, like I don't until something bad actually happens to him, I'm, I'm not going to expect it. But yeah, this is as close as we've gotten in a long time, and I, I'm at least enjoying the vibes of uh, potentially Donald Trump being uh, manhandled by a cop. That would be yeah. that'd be so much fun to see. That would be that would be pretty good. I would like to see him like reach for one of the cops' guns and like. <laughs> the, <laughs> I think that would be an excellent moment. Yeah, because also just um, the it's amazing how quickly that sort of resistance culture dissipated as soon as Biden was elected. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. The, the, the whole theory of his campaign was that people just really don't want to think about the president every day. And at the time, I was like, no, that's dumb. We should actually vote for someone like Bernie Sanders, who has good politics. Yeah. Uh, but no, he was totally vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> we all looked like assholes. Um, and uh, he was totally right. People just don't want to think about the president every single day. Yeah. As long as you betray some sort of image of normalcy, even though Biden is one of the least normal people you can think <laughs> of, as long as if people just catching you at a glance are like, oh, yeah, he seems normal. He seems like, you know, someone I don't need to pay attention to 24 <laughs> hours a day. Yeah, that's that's enough for people. They can After get four back years, to the grill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I am grill pilled or not, <laughs> but that that's sort of an old sentiment as well. That's that's a sentiment from like three or four years ago. That's one I still enjoy. Um, I used to be super grill pilled. Then I moved into the city and don't have any backyard space where I would still have my beloved Weber grill. Mm. But someday, who knows? Someday, so you, you get one of those indoor grills. You can you can do a hibachi indoors. It's fine. <laughs> just uh, just get a fan. You know. Oh, to... I've, I've thought extensively about this. Actually, there's a company that makes a ceramic uh, hibachi grill uh, that's just like this. It, it's it's like yay, but it's like 20 inches. It would fit over my little apartment stove, and I think it would be a great like mid 30s single um, uh, in, insane person hobby to just. <laughs> decided at this point in my life to get really good at, at all of the um all of the um like the, the egg flipping and the little tower of onions that they oh, do, you at, do at the all restaurant. the do all the benihana stuff exactly Learn all the to benihana techniques master all the benihana techniques before my 35th birthday yeah i think that'd be good that that franchise has such a weird story rocky aoki and his son is steve aoki uh Oh, that's right. I have heard that. Yeah. And like, I, I don't think there's like much of like an actual tradition to it in Japan. It was just kind of invented by them, I think. Yeah, he just made it up. Yeah, because he just realized, oh, people like to be entertained while uh, eating food. So and he's right. They, they, yeah. they flipped a little shrimp in your mouth and you go fucking wild. It's great. Yeah, I've been to a Benihana. It's a fucking blast. And out <laughs> of it, we got the wonderful, wonderful music of Steve Aoki. So... <laughs> Uh, I don't know any of I could I couldn't pick out any of Steve Aoki's music if I heard it. But uh, no, sure I don't think good. I was ever super aware of him until it was announced that he was going to be one of the guys that uh, like travels into space on some like rocket adventure that's planned in the next couple of years with like Jeff Bezos behind it, I think. Yeah. Or maybe it was Elon Musk thing. I don't know. Either, yeah. either way, good. Good for him that they're sending. They, they're not quite sending a poet, but they're sending pretty close, I guess. I guess the last big spacefaring celebrity was Lance Bass. Uh, oh, it was Will, Will, William Shatner, I, I think. Oh, you're the, right. William Shatner went to space and had a huge existential crisis. <laughs> yeah. It like ruined his life. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Space, don't go to space. Space is terrifying. Don't. Yeah. I'm, I am anti-space. Um, I like that. I want now. I want to do like a, a like a Event Horizon style movie with William Shatner, where he's you know, <laughs> facing he's facing these cosmic terrors and you know freaking out about them. Uh, fucking, uh, so another thing we could talk about just cause, but I always feel like a psycho talking about it, but I am. So is, <laughs> I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm so fucking online on, on fucking Twitter. Yeah, um, we are. We can, we can admit our brains are in, in, like fundamentally broken by it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really interesting to be, uh, on this dying Twitter, um, because as I think I said before, 
I've never seen like a website where you can really pinpoint the moment it went downhill, <laughs> where you can really, this is the exact, the exact day to the hour that Elon Musk took ownership of the, of the company. He's just made every terrible decision you could possibly make up to and including these, the, the fucking check marks. What the fuck is he thinking <laughs> with the fucking check marks? It no, was, it's, it, it, everything he does is, is like, you, you, you can like it should be on some kind of Richter scale where the the variable is how many like potential lawsuits will come out of it. Mm -hmm. Like the the Elon scale, I think there are days where he just like posts one or two dumb things and it's like a one or two lawsuit situation. The check mark mm -hmm. is like as high as that exponential scale goes. He <laughs> he will just be sued like ten ten thousand thousand times. Yeah, because the check mark initially was someone was impersonating a football player, right? Um, who was it? it? Was someone really funny that was like the root cause of it? Um, who like it, 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 I don't know if it was a sports celebrity, but it was um someone you might have been. It, it wasn't William Shatner, but it was someone like him. Okay, uh, some big so someone was impersonating some big celebrity, so they got the check mark system, so you know this is the official guy. But it's funny because like Musk and his cohort sees the check as an elitist status symbol, which in a way it is, it, you know, they picked up on one aspect of it where it was or the, but it, it was more like jokes about checkies being elite. That was like, it, yeah. it was never really a serious thing, but he thought it was serious. He thought it was like, Oh, people are gaining real social capital from these checks. Him and all his followers thought it was yeah. super serious. Yeah. Everyone else realized that it was something you could just goof on people for. And I, I looked it up cause I knew it was going to drive me nuts if I didn't. It was Tony LaRussa, a, the, <laughs> the baseball manager who is like one of the weirdest guys alive. The, I should call him the baseball manager and the drunk driving enthusiast, Tony LaRussa, mm -hmm. who is uh, just it's the funniest possible person to uh, ha have caused all that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the dominoes meme in my head, you know, uh, of Tony LaRussa's <laughs> birth following to the million lawsuits against uh, Elon Musk. Yeah, Tony Tony Larusa like gets out of his car after like plowing into the Scottsdale Turnpike uh, is the first domino. The last one is Elon Elon Musk loses all his money. Yeah, Tesla Tesla fails. Yeah, he can't be doing this intentionally, right? He can't be like tanking the company intentionally so that like News Corp will buy it or something like that. Or I don't think so. I think a lot of people have convinced themselves that like I think they're buying into like the he's a super genius rumor a little too hard there. I, I think he's just a, a dumbass who uh, thinks way too highly of his idiotic friends mm -hmm. and really has never been told no in his life. Have you ever like hung out around very rich people like mm. uh, or like hung around? Because I had I had an education in a private school in Canada, <laughs> one that one that's a. Uh, and I was not I was not well off by any well, you know, middle class, but everyone says middle class <laughs> in order to you know get, get away privilege. I'm not privileged. <laughs> I had to work. Now. Uh, but um, but I have hobnobs <laughs> with some of the people who have like crazy like they have three mansions with like an uh, underground golf course connecting them. <laughs> and the sort of like. Uh, uh, the theme that kept coming back was, oh, these these people are all like dumb and bland <laughs> yeah. because they have focused on one thing for their entire life. Not unlike hockey players, they're dumb and bland <laughs> because <laughs> they have they've voted their entire time to this very specific thing and nothing else. Um, Pretty much. Yeah, I think um, the the richest person I knew or I ever really interacted with was uh, I briefly worked uh, in television. Um, and I was associate producer on this weird TV show that only ever aired, I think, on the Sky Network. Um, but it was all the, the guy who ran it, who was my boss, was like a former child actor who had like turned his like 60s wealth into like significant enough to run a production company. Very, very rich guy. Uh, and I hung out with him a couple of times at his place because he used it as a set a few times. And he was very nice. He was a great boss, actually. Um, uh, he was a, a, a pretty good guy. And it's, his wife was very sweet. But, but um, not uh, bit of, bit of, bit of a little bit of a trophy wife. Um, <laughs> That's all right. The strangest thing about them was they had this beautiful, gorgeous, like fantastic full size poodle uh, who was a, named Charlie, who was a, a lovely dog. Uh, but then I found out that they only feed him 
raw organic like the nice whole foods bacon Ooh. and it's like it's a dog it eats it eats whatever <laughs> yeah and it, they, they spend more thinking... on food than they were paying me <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that sort of that's the exact sort of dumb blandness I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all always what I think of when I think of really rich people. Is they're all they're all doing shit like that, and mm -hmm. no one's ever like, "Why? Why are you doing this?" That's knock it off. Mm -hmm. Like uh, there was some joke a while back about how like every every young man has um, a, a series of things that one person told them, "Why are you doing that?" That's kind of weird, and they stopped doing it forever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think rich people just that ne that never happens to yeah, them. So they happen. they become eccentric in in strange and unnerving ways, whereas the rest of us become eccentric in fun, socially acceptable ways. Yeah, because of uh, the constant uh, eroding effect of uh, nice casual bullying. Which exactly. Is, yeah. <laughs> which is that's what Twitter's all about, baby. Nice casual bullying. You know, that's that's what we we're all it, in it for. It's good for us at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that is sort of like. In queer communities too, uh, you know, uh, you watch Paris is Burning, and one of the uh, one of the reasons for reading why you read people is that the world is going to read you harder than mm -hmm. you know we can ever read you. So there's sort of like a preparation for people. You in this space, you know, you will be casually bullied, but this is this will steal yourself. This will steal your skin to the the evil that is out there. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same like theory as why everybody who's really good at Twitter used to post on forums. It's it's a, it's the it's the winnowing away of all of the parts of yourself that might look too vulnerable to put online. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, now that's I I should get more vulnerable. I should start doing I get pretty vulnerable. Sometimes I'll do a sad comic. People yeah, like no, absolutely. Yeah. Not um, me though. I I I I am honed like a like a, a blade of steel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You will never never be emotional online. You've lost <laughs> if you're emotional online. That's that's the death knell. Be emotional in your friends. Be emotional in Discord. Okay, <laughs> just only be emotional in Discord. That's what it's for. Good rule of thumb. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I I we got a Discord for uh House of Decline. I I am flummoxed by it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I can't. I I think yeah. your yours your baseball one's probably better because it's all uh, around a single subject, so people know what to boast about. That does help. Yeah, but I I had the same thing where like I grew up on IRC. I can't. Discord is confusing and terrifying, and there's like buttons that do things that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Chat rooms used to be simple. I used to understand them, but it's gotten away from me. So we leave all moderation to the Zoomers who listen. They 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 keep it in ship shape, and I just get to drop it in ship post. Yeah, the good old Zoomers. I like them. The kids are all right. I feel. The, no, I, I I'm on the same page. I, I I am not like oh the 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 Zoomers are not okay. I do think they should learn how like computers work, but that's <laughs> that's my own personal dedication to knowing knowing how computers operate. Yeah, I can't I can't fault it. them on that because I'm a I'm a Luddite as well. You know, I'm using. <laughs> I, uh, the fact that I'm able to manipulate these buttons at all is uh, is a miracle to me. <laughs> I tried to do programming once. I tried tried writing Hello World, and everything exploded. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just uh, also the thing about posting is like, do you have any? Do you feel different from when you had a smaller account to a larger account, or do you feel like more under the gun? Or like what you're saying is scrutinized more, so you have to be more careful about your words. Uh, I think at a certain point, yeah, you, you do just kind of like uh, I I personally at least get tired of just getting the same like responses uh, this, like on a, on certain subjects, so I just won't talk about them anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, where there probably was a time where I, I felt more comfortable just kind of uh, goofing off and shit posting, but for the most part, I think people understand that like I'm not a celebrity. I, I I don't only talk about like the two or three things that interest me. Mm -hmm. uh, th that is like the privilege of uh, not acting like a brand mm -hmm. that I really recommend more people try. Yeah, because I mean, I catch myself getting into brand thinking, like thinking I'm a brand, you know, even even like I have my artwork for House of Decline, you know, I have everything up there. But um, uh, yeah, that that's sort of a natural way you start thinking after a while, mm -hmm. once you start getting a lot of, oh, you start thinking about PR and, you know, uh, what, what version of myself am I presenting to, to people? 
Yeah, and, it's one of the more insidious things about social media, I think, because it kind of trains you to do that. And suddenly, like you're someone with like 500 followers who who's like, oh, you know, I I can only really talk about woodworking or whatever my thing is. Yeah. And it's like, no, you can just you can just hang out on the computer. It's fine. I think that's why accounts that are clearly just posting as themselves are so beloved, like people like Jason or or, or Sanj. <laughs> like uh, these are guys, they're not they're not presenting any airs. You know, th this is yeah. who they are 100 percent. And I think there's sort of like a refreshing um, honesty to that, which you, you don't even see in a lot of uh, other accounts. Totally. Oh, the, the king of that back in the day was Shaq. I joined Twitter like many people originally in 2009 because Shaq was on it and was just like, I, I always think about the original tweet that I saw that was like, okay, I got to get on here. And it was Shaq and Jason Kidd at the Five and Diner, 50s themed diner in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And Shaq was making fun of Jason Kidd for ordering a salad <laughs> at a diner. And that that kind of uh, honesty from celebrities was like the total key to making it work for years yeah. and years. And they don't do that anymore. It has to leave it to like the weird Twitter people to... to have that kind of fun on online still. Mm -hmm. Can't no more Knott's Berry Farm, but too big post. <laughs> uh, he was so good at that back in the day too. Yeah. I, I I miss him so much. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, what's he? I mean, he's what is he doing now? He's a he's a sportscaster, right? He's really bad at it. Yeah, Every, everyone's kind of <laughs> him and Charles. I think uh, the basketball like Twitter community at least has has really turned on them as as analysts and like they don't they don't really seem too tuned into the game. Baseball, I think every sport has this problem, but basketball especially, the fans seem to have really turned on those two guys in particular, and are just like you, you should just stop doing this if you don't care. Well, I think it's fine. They they they. Who he? It's Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> He's a seven foot four man talking. You know, yeah. I I'll just watch it. I'll listen to any seven foot four guy. I want to no, know what I, they have I, to I, say. I I was a kid growing up in the '90s in Phoenix, Arizona. Charles Barkley is a god to me and can can never do any wrong. But um, that's I think the people who care more about the sport are, are the ones who are kind of burned out on them. Always just hating on on the 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 modern game. Mm -hmm. but they'll, they'll never fire him tnt they, they bring in too much money with the, the the spicy takes and the the jokes and whatnot i, I don't think they'll ever actually stop huh. you think uh so how how long do you think we have before twitter finally dies or that's a really good question i um i think it'll probably continue on in some form forever i think at some point maybe uh it goes into some sort of like corporate stewardship and it becomes mm -hmm. less annoying, but maybe by that point there'll be some competitive, like people moves on. I think there's like a zeitgeist to it. That was like, mm -hmm. there was some kind of spark that it had where it felt like the world's biggest internet forum where like, mm -hmm. you can just go on and see I, my whole thing is like, you can just log so long as you can log on once a day and see someone saying the, the strangest thing you've ever heard, it's mm -hmm. still going to be a good site and it's still yeah. going to be entertaining. Yeah. And if, no end if to that, that. Ever goes away. Yeah. yeah. We just got classic, very classic main character, the the pussy inspector. Oh, that one was so awful. Jessica just Pinn, awful. something like that. Just an yeah. insanely bizarre person. It was it, that one in particular was terrible. Yeah, yeah, uh, it yeah. really did, did not. And it's amazing when they just keep doubling down too. Because like, <laughs> I got in, I got in Twitter problems recently. And you, like yours was dumb. I thought yeah, that mine was dumb. Was... I didn't have to apologize, <laughs> but I apologized anyway because it will instantly get every person yelling at you to stop yelling at you. <laughs> so I don't know why people just don't apologize. It's so easy. You yeah, don't... no, it's free. It takes ten seconds. It's it's like oh, okay, sorry, my my bad, my, my mistake. And but no, no, no made, the Twitter people never seem to do that for some. Now you got to double down, double down, because you know it's uh, <laughs> you get the hot back of the neck feeling, as I call it. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> Everyone needs prove. to know how right I am. Yeah, Every yeah. single particle in my body is is uh, emotionally, intellectually correct at all times. Yes. Uh, and well, for you, that might actually be the case. Uh, <laughs> I think we've come to a, a good, a, a good ending here. Uh, what are your plugs? Give us your plugs. Right. I got to promote uh, betting around. It's my baseball podcast for a baseball podcast that sometimes actually talks about baseball. Um, rotatingsandwiches.com is my website that I love. There's no ads. It's just rotating sandwiches and nothing else. And uh, yeah, you don't really need to follow me on Twitter. I, 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 I post more of the sandwich gifts there than I do uh, anywhere else. But uh, outside that, I, I'm, I'm just hanging out on the computer. 
Hell yeah. Well, Lauren, it was uh, amazing to have you. You're a great first guest for this format change. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, love the podcast. Love the sandwiches. Love the posts. And uh, we'll keep posting until this thing dies. Damn right. Thank you for having me on. I'm a big fan of the comic. Thank you.